What's up, New York? You're listening to the Empire State Conservative Network Podcast. Hey guys, this next segment is brought to you by the Blackhawk Group. Blackhawk Group offers an unparalleled customer support service combined with top-level classroom installations and equipment servicing. They have years' worth of experience in this field, experience that is unmatched by competitors anywhere. Learn more about Blackhawk Group at www.blackhawkgroupllc.net. Hey everybody, welcome to our latest episode of the Empire State Conservative Network podcast. This is Pete here with Evan and we got on the line uh, Steve Dace. He's the author of Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. He's also a host on Blaze TV. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm well, guys. How are you? We're doing great. So uh, we wanted to definitely dive into your book. I just got through today, like I was telling you off air, and, and I thought it was very good because, you know, while a lot of us, you know, we want to own the libs and we want to show why the other side tends to be wrong in terms of their policy and even their value base, um, we also have issue with the Republican Party and how, you know, they talk a big game, but often a lot of our, you know, federal and even here local state legislators on that end don't tend to hold up their bargain. So, you know, in, in summary, obviously going to a lot more depth in your book, what, what would you say the major issue with the Republican Party has been over the past few decades? They don't agree with people like you. And the people that run the party, they're not stupid. They're not cowards. Let me put it in another context. If if you hired me and I really needed the job or you offered me an amount of money I couldn't say no to, to go out there and promote Islam, and I and I agreed to do it um, as long as I could stick to surface level talking points. Um, I, I'd be OK. But the minute there was any resistance or pushback from those who opposed Islam, I, I would suck because mm. I don't believe in this. Right. OK. And, and that's essentially what's happened in the Republican Party is it's a small P progressive party. It's a corporatist party, not a conservative one. They don't agree with your audience or people like you or my audience or people like me. And it's not that they're dumb or they're stupid. Uh, these are a lot of brilliant people. It's similar to the welfare state. There's not a new class of MIT students who are going to figure out how to make Medicare solvent. Mm. It's just it, it, the, the scheme itself can't work. Right. It violates the way that the world and the, and the natural law was created. And that's the same thing here. There, there's not a new caliber of, of, you know, strategy when you're led by people who simply don't agree with you. And the number one reason they don't agree with you is because uh, in the Democratic Party, the, the, the major donors in the Democratic Party, the Warren Buffetts, Bill Gates, Tom Steyers, etc., Hollywood, they're to the left of the average Democrat in a place like Brooklyn or Rochester, New York or Buffalo, New York. In the Republican Party, the major donors are also to the left of the average Republican voter in a place like Alabama or Mississippi or Georgia. And so uh, just as the Democratic donor base put, pulls that party left, the Republican donor base does the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that. Anything- yeah, so basically what you're saying is that instead of being true conservatives, they're more towards moderates or lean left-leaning you know, more cent- more center right as opposed to actual conservatives. Yes, but keep in mind the center has moved to the left. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and also remember the first president to openly get elected on the notion he was a progressive was 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 Teddy Roosevelt. Right. So now now Teddy Roosevelt's variation of progressivism isn't necessarily the same 
uh, as uh, uh, Kamala Harris's, which is uh, government as a force of coercion if you don't want to do what we want to do. But in the end, the idea that human nature is basically good, that therefore, because human nature is basically good, a larger, more consolidated, centralized government. In Teddy Roosevelt's case, it was you know, natural land preservation. In Kamala Harris's case, it's healthcare for all, but it's, it's, it's invariably, while the process of, of getting to that end game might be different, it's invariably the same idea that we can create a utopia here in America or on earth. And that is completely contrary to the founding vision of the country, which, which you know, the founders came out of an era heavily influenced by the Dark Ages, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, Renaissance. They had seen both the, the heights and depths of human nature in the preceding generations. And so that's why they wanted a limited government, just enough to punish the wicked, but not so much that it thought it could determine who is and who isn't righteous. Because as Thomas Jefferson once said, the government big enough to give you everything you want is also large enough to take away everything that you have. Yeah, and really, it's if you look at all these like young adult novels, that's always what the what the storyline yes. is, and that's yep. what all these these young up and coming liberals are obsessed with. They're obsessed with these books about totalitarian government, but they're constantly voting for bigger, more government with more power over their lives, and they don't even realize that they're pushing themselves towards this insane dystopian future that they are taught to fight against. That is exactly correct, and so and that's because one of the things is. The, you start buying into the idea that human nature is basically good, except for the people that I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. OK, and so therefore dystopian government can only happen with people whose particular ideas I don't agree with, where, you know, the Judeo-Christian view of the world, which was instrumental in the founding of the country, is human nature is bad. Basically, regardless of what your belief system, your gender, where you rank on the intersectionality scale, you're just as you are just as liable or prone to do bad stuff as somebody from a belief system, a religion that you don't agree with is. And that's exactly why there has to be an accountability larger than ourselves. And that's God. Now, what the what the progressive will say is, well, that's what the state does. The government is that larger accountability narrative, right. except men. What is the government made up of? Who, who makes up the government? Who are they? People. People. Mm -hmm. They're not. And, and so just because you took an oath of office or just because you have a di diploma or you were or you obtained a government job doesn't mean you are now absolved from the same fallacies and temptations that beguile the rest of humanity. Quite the contrary, what human history has shown is that once we once they give the, once the people who have control over the guns and the money, uh, once they get that control, they tend to be just even more so prone to the fallacies of human nature because they now have the weaponry to impose their frailties upon everybody else. And that's exactly what happened in Cuba with Castro and in Nazi yep. Germany with Hitler and Stalin. And we've been saying this that. And people always criticize. They criticize Trump, and I'm not a huge fan of him personally. I think he's good, he's been doing a decent job. But the big thing is they they claim you know he's 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 not good with women. He's kind of he's brash, but he's not the Pope. And I said the same thing with Clinton when Clinton was getting impeached. He's not the Pope. He's the president. And like you said, it doesn't make them morally superior because they're an elective elected office. Well, if, if, since you read the book, you know I go out of my way as someone that has known Trump for years to understate his role in this larger drama, right. that he is, he is neither the solution 
to the future, nor is he the problem that caused the past. Both sides want to believe, you know, the Republican swamp and the liberal media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, want to act as if everything was great and everybody got along until Donald Trump came along and just ruined this uh, Pox Americana, that there was never any uh, Bush lied and people died. There was never any Bush stole the election from Al Gore. Uh, there, there, there was never any Reagan hated poor people and was a racist. Uh, there was never any Palin derangement syndrome. That's a lie and a scam. Trump is the symptom of what's become of the, of the system, which is a whole lot of people that have realized that the system is, is devised to go against them. And so whether you like it or not, they decided, you know what, I'm going to go get my own authoritarian kind of slash tough talking strong man, and maybe he'll bend the system to what I want it to do, as opposed to working against me instead. Dr. Frankenstein always hates the monster he created. The media handed Trump the nomination by giving him 60 times more coverage than anybody else mm -hmm. because they thought he was the most easily beatable. And so when they handed him the nomination and then he beat him anyway, and they've been on a, a really a jihad to discredit his presidency ever since. And all they've done is discredit themselves all the more in the process. Absolutely. Uh, were you going to say something, Evan? No? Okay. So I, I know in the book, too, you talk about... Um, how it's important, since we're on the topic of candidates, you mentioned Kamala Harris, we just talked a little bit about President Trump, but he mentioned that it's important to understand past actions and character, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and not just simply their policy proposals. So obviously, there, there are a lot of people in, in Congress, in Washington, that talk a big game, but when it comes time to actually act and do something, they don't. So um, what was the question? So can you elaborate a little bit more on that and what people yep. should look for in candidates? Because here in New York, too, a very, very blue state. We have Andrew Cuomo as governor, Kirsten Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer as you know senators, and, and a lot of other people who just got elected to the legislature. Obviously, we also have a lack of quality uh, Republican or even conservative candidates. So, so what should we look out for as, as citizens looking to elect uh, qualified, but also officials that represent their best interests? Well, a lot of this book, guys, is based off of um, my desire for a for another generation of activists to be better at this than me and and my previous and the previous generation was, and to learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things when I got into this that I one one lesson I tried to learn from the previous generation's mistake was to not just look at the policy positions of the candidates, but their core worldview. In other words, not just what 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 they say but do you know why they say those things when when someone says they're pro-life you can they articulate to you why mm -hmm. and 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 that's a good filter but even after i assess people's worldviews and i helped them get elected i'd still see more times than not once they got into the system they would betray us mm -hmm. and so i tried to figure out how is it that they seemed so convincing i mean are there sociopaths yes but there's not like 10 million sociopaths, okay? Right. So I'm trying to figure out how is it they were so convincing. Um, and if you've listened to my show, when I'm when I'm grilling people, you can you know I'm mm -hmm. grilling them. I'm not I'm not letting you get away with cliches. Mm -hmm. So how how is it then that I can grill these people and they can survive under that onslaught? And then when they got into office, they would will you know I've got pretty high regard for my abilities, but I'm not you know freaking King Kong or something you know. So I mean I kind of think you know if if, if, if if I if, if you know, if you can get past me, chances are you're going to do just fine when you get into office. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that there's a there's before you even get to the worldview. And I talked about this in the book. 
there, there's a basic instinct that drives people for significance and success. And there's two of them that do it. Do you want to be somebody or do you want to do something? Okay. Those are two totally different things. You know, Barry Bonds was already going to be a Hall of Fame player, mm-hmm. but, but, but he wanted to be somebody. He wanted to be the all-time home run champion. So he, so he cheated. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between being, I want to do stuff or I want to be somebody. And a lot of people that we send to Washington as, as conservatives and Republicans, that even when they, the right worldview is stated, after a while, they succumb to the system. Why? Because they want to be somebody. They want to be president. They want to be uh, Senate majority leader. They want, to, they want to be head of that committee. And so they decide to put their own vested interests ahead of the larger principle. And, and then when you don't go along with that, then you're the betrayer, you're the sellout. And I think that's something we gotta watch for more. You know, Democrats, they have people with massive egos as well, but more, more of the people they elect, like from your own backyard there, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, God. <laughs> she, she, is dang- she is incredibly naive. Mm-hmm. But you know what, do you know what's driving her naivete? Is that she really believes this. Right. That, I mean, she, she really believes that America would be better off as a Swedish version of the Soviet Union. She believes it. Right. And, and so she has, she, she's not a fraud. Uh, she's selling something. It's the wrong cause. It's, it, it's, it's almost like she's a religious evangelist. But, but that's where she keeps coming back for more. And, and, we, and, and we don't have a lot of those kinds of men and women on the right mm-hmm. because too many of the people we've elected want to be somebody as opposed to do something. Yeah, and part of that it always seems like is you fall into that group mentality. Like you said, you need if you want to be speaker, you need the backing of everyone else from your party essentially. So you're not going to go up there and start making enemies with people in your own party if you have aspirations to be president or be speaker. So you kind of fall, you kind of you know let your morals go by the wayside a little bit, or let some of your principles go, or some of the things you wanted to do where they're not as important because you put your personal success over the needs of your constituents or the needs yes. of your party and country. And then you, you, you start replacing the staff that helped get you there. Um, this is one of the reasons Reagan's first term was so much better than his second. This is one of the reasons why George W. Bush's first term was so much better than his second is what happens is the people that helped you get there, they, in the end, are pro- usually the most committed to the cause that united you guys in the beginning. And then after a while, you know, um, they don't want to live for 10 years in Washington. They go home. And then you start replacing those people with the creatures of Washington. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is, you know, where where I first started to worry about whether the president was going to be able to be successful on draining the swamp is when I started seeing the appointment of Bryce Priebus for White House Chief of Staff. When I started seeing Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, these are progressives, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right, right. Rex Tillerson, if he, if he came from any industry other than oil, he could have been Hillary Clinton's Secretary of State. They have more in common together. Right. And, then, and he undermined the president the entire time he was in the office, okay? So, and, and this is one of the challenges. You know, Reagan faced this challenge too, is... You're in a party where there's really not too many people that do want to drain the swamp. They just want the swamp to drain the way in their direction, of, on their side of K Street instead. 
And so, you know, you've got to you've got to hire 100,000 people to run the federal government. And unfortunately, we don't have enough people that are uh, that are of like mind. And it's almost unavoidable to align yourself with people who have more in common with Democrats than you. That's why we still have all kinds of progressives still at the Department of Defense who, when the president said, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to have cross-dressers for soldiers, mm. they, 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 they refused to implement that order. Um, it, it's, it, it, listen, if you know if you know Trump for 10 minutes, you know keeping his focus on something is extremely difficult in the best-case <laughs> scenario, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but the other problem he has is, you know, every leader brings weaknesses to the table because every leader is a human being. Sure. The, the problem is... Keeping Trump focused on a conservative message or a conservative issue is difficult because there's not a lot of people that you can bring into a White House that are interested in that. More of them are interested in um, in uh, Mitt Romney's style of, of Republican Party instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 to that point, you know, you know, speaking of, of candidates, both you know, past and present, you know, I didn't even have this plan, but you've heard a lot the past twenty four to forty eight hours about Howard Schultz. Starbucks wanting yeah. to run and, and he seems to be, you know, you know, towards the middle. So obviously the left has seemed to be a little afraid of him. They're afraid that he's going to split the vote in some way and take it away from their more radical, uh, radical candidate, whoever they seem to nominate. So what, what are your thoughts on him or maybe even a Michael Bloomberg running? Do you think that that's actually a realistic threat to them? And why do you think that is? This next segment is brought to you by Items for All Occasions. Items for All Occasions specializes in helping you sync up with what you need for your event's promotional needs. Whether it's announcements, cards, giveaways, invitations, tchotchkes, or video books, they have you covered. Learn more about Items for All Occasions at www.itemsforalloccasions.com. No, I don't. Um, And the reason why I don't think that it is is because the voting block that these men want to appeal to largely doesn't exist except for Ron Paul online polls and CPAC straw polls. The majority of Americans do not want small, limited government and Sodom and Gomorrah. The majority of Americans, and Trump actually proved this in his election, Trump defined all kinds of limited government orthodoxy. He said everybody deserved a right to health care. Uh, we were going to use tariffs. We were going we were gonna, we to do a, an FDR-style New Deal for our mass infrastructure program. He did all he made all kinds of big government pronouncements, but he was really hardcore right on the social issues and on the cultural flashpoint issues. He actually went even further than George W. Bush in the presidential debates and said, I'm going to I'm not going to appoint pro-life justices. He specifically said, I'm going to appoint justices that will overturn Roe versus Wade. Because the reality is where there's more growth, you know, Pew did a massive study of the of the electorate about a year ago that proved this. There really isn't outside of the Cato Institute's donor base. There really aren't too many. You know, I want no regulation and Sodom and Gomorrah voters. Most Americans want government to do for them what they can't do for themselves, like pay a health care bill they can't afford or send their kid to college. And then they don't want to go to jail if they don't want to bake tranny cakes. It's actually the other way around. And so the problem that these progressives from corporate America like Michael Bloomberg and Howard Schultz have is they, they have it backwards. They think Americans want to be told how big of a Slurpee they can drink, provided that the sales tax is cut. And that's not true at all. Yeah. Howard Schultz is actually big, a bigger a bigger threat. Uh, first of all, I don't think he'll even be on the ballot in November. I think he'll be gone in six months. Mm-hmm. But if he were to be on the ballot, he'd actually be a, a bigger threat to Trump, and here's why. 
the two kinds of voters Howard Schultz appeals to are A, uh, Democrats that in places like Washington State, Oregon, Maryland, New York, meaning places where even if he got five or 10 points, the Democrats would just win by less, but would still win. It wouldn't alter the outcome. Right. The other the other kind of voter he appeals to is in the suburbs of a place like Des Moines, where I live, or a place like Phoenix, or the suburbs of a Detroit, or the suburbs of a Cleveland. Suburban voters who you know think Marco Rubio is a little easy is too confrontational, uh, who who like everybody to be nice and and, and prefer to be passive aggressive at all times when in doubt. Um, I, and, and, and by the way, they're the people that actually go to Starbucks. The three and a half million Democrats who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump in 2016, you know, um, those guys aren't stopping by Starbucks for a $15 mocha on the way to the coal mine in Pennsylvania in the morning. They're not doing that, okay? Mm -hmm. Out where I live in the suburbs where people think, where people like Mitt Romney's style of Republicanism, where, you know, that's where he could essentially get the Bill Crystal vote. He'd be more of a danger to Trump than the Democrats. Huh. That's that's a very interesting take and uh, definitely something to consider heading into that. Um, so I want to ask you, so, so you, you also mentioned in the book, um, you have some ideas about you know what we can do to you know get the conservative uh, conservatives in America in general back on track, whether it's through different types of um, conservative parties. So um, what was the question? So you mentioned an Article 5 Convention of States as something that might be able to be done, because obviously the left is pushing farther to the left, as we've gone over already in this episode bigger government, uh, bigger reach into your lives in various respects. So uh, can you explain your positioning a little bit? You don't have to give it all away, obviously. You want people to read the book. Sure. But can you just go into that a little bit and explain why you think that that might be helpful? Well, you know, a few years ago when this, when uh, the Convention of States movement really started first gaining traction, and, you know, I heard the arguments from uh, the late, great Phyllis Schlafly and others who were skeptics, and I, I kind of just decided – you know, I, I tend to like to get involved when I think right and wrong are cut and dried as much as I possibly can. And so I thought that there was enough reasons to be concerned about a potential Pandora's box factor that I, I just kind of let the Convention of States thing kind of, you know, happen and, and focus my energies on other things. But I'm a big sports fan. You know, I, I get to do a sports show with Kurt Schilling, uh, who I know probably doesn't have too many friends there in the, uh, in the New York area from his days with the Red Sox. And, and, you know, my favorite sport of them all is football. Mm-hmm. And when, when, you're, when you're losing a game with, like, 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you don't throw a Hail Mary pass, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's still plenty of time that you could win the game conventionally within the safer routes of trying to score. You throw a Hail Mary pass when you're in the final minute and you, you don't have the time to move the ball down the field little by little any longer. Right. And, in the, in, and in the last year, I've come to the conclusion that, I mean, we, we are literally, we literally had General Mattis. We, detected at the front door. We, we literally had General Mattis oppose the president's effort to, um, to, to, Someone is at the front door. to say that um, he didn't want cross-dressing transvestites in the Marines. Mm. And when, when we're at the point now that we don't know what a boy is, we don't know what a girl is. When we're at the point now that we see the legislation like your governor just signed, which is literally right out of the bowels of hell. I mean, mm-hmm. literally right from the pit of hell. Um, we're, we're kind of, in my view, I think, guys, we've, we've run out of time 
for 20 year plans. And, and I think whatever risk the convention, you think the convention of states entails if, with any potential Pandora's uh, box factor is outweighed by the necessity of the moment. And I, and I think it's, it's one of the last remaining Hail Mary passes that we have. Right, absolutely. I, I, I'm with you in agreement. I'm glad you brought up what happened because I, I agree that the legislation that was passed last week, especially the Reproductive Health Act, it's deplorable. And like you said, it's pretty cut and dry, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we're definitely in the right in the wrong direction in this state. But uh, hopefully, you know, 2020 and beyond, we can do something about it. So a couple of fun questions. You did mention that you're a football fan. Obviously, you have a show. We talk sports with Kurt Schilling. So first, I want to ask you about this weekend, obviously, the Super Bowl coming up. Uh, who, who are you taking in the Super Bowl this year? Well, you know, the Rams have the makeup of the kind of team that has beaten the Patriots in the Super Bowl, meaning the ability to generate an organic pass rush from your front four so that you can drop seven in coverage and not give Brady the chance to exploit you with a lot of man coverage because uh, he's just he processes information so quickly. He has seen everything and he still throws so accurately that you blitz him at your own detriment. And so the, the Rams have that kind of defense with Aaron Donald and Dominic and Sue, Dexter Fowler, et cetera. And so I, I was really kind of leaning towards the Rams being able to do what the Eagles did last year, what the Giants did to him twice, which is keep him in the pocket and pressure him with four guys and drop seven. And then I saw yesterday some nickelback for the Rams run his mouth about how age is caught up to Tom Brady. He's passed his prime. And now I'm kind of like, bet your mortgage on the Patriots. What a total dumbass. Yeah. Every time that Tom Brady is doubted, you know, even this year especially, they said they're done. Uh, You know, they came back, obviously they won the division, and now they're in the Super Bowl again. So I'm with you on that. Anytime you talk smack about Brady, he always seems to step up, even if the cards are stacked against him. Uh, Evan, anything else you want to ask Steve before we sign off? No, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm hoping the Patriots lose. I'm a huge Jets fan. I hope Aaron Donald can just basically make him his little bitch. But, you know, like you said, you can never really bet against Brady. And the second you start talking smack about him, that's when he gets fired up and just comes back and makes you pay for it. Well said. Yep. All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, guys, you can check out Steve Davis's show on Blaze TV. And also, again, check out his book. We're going to link that in the comments below. But it's called Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. God bless. Take care. All right. Take care, Steve. Hey, everybody. It's Evan with Empire State Conservative Network. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on iTunes and YouTube and leave us a five-star review. Also, please follow us on social media on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives, on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, on Twitter at Empire State Cons, on Parlay at Empire State Conservatives. If you'd like to help us improve our shows, you can donate through our website at EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com slash donate. We also have some merchandise that will be coming to you soon from our website. If you'd like to work with us in any capacity, please feel free to email us at GetRedPilled76 at gmail.com. And as always, don't let fear take your freedom.